Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Well, I want to welcome everybody back to the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. I've got a special guest on today, Gino Barbaro. Gino, how's it going today? Mr. Caffarella, it is great to be here. How are you doing, brother? I'm always doing good. Uh, I always say to people, I could I could find some stuff to complain about, but I mean, really, I've got a I've got a pretty good life, so I can't really I can't complain too much. Other than the fact that uh, we're going to get a snowstorm here tonight, which should be about 12 inches, and I know. You moved out of the Northeast down to uh, Florida, so yes. you may miss that, right? Yes. You know, the pain. I moved down three years ago, and, and I moved because I couldn't take the weather, and I was looking for opportunities in real estate, right? And I was looking to buy multifamilies, and I only thought there was one route. I thought I had to come down and move into my market and invest that way, and man, what you don't know, you don't know, but thankfully, I made the move. It's 70 degrees down here. It's not 22, and it's not snowing for sure, my friend. That's awesome. Um, so our listeners, like I, I kind of mentioned to you beforehand, they're all they're all real estate agents. And I think one thing that, that correlates a little bit between you and real estate agents is most of the people that are listening to this podcast right now, they're successful. They've got a business where they're making money and they're either a little bit into investing or thinking about getting into investing, but they're they're busy you know, doing their day to day. And I know for you, like you were in a successful restaurant for how many years? Uh, over 20 years. Over 20 years. And and how long were you thinking about getting into investing before you actually did? When I first started, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I got out of college back in 1992. And I, uh, my parents were entrepreneurial. They were both immigrants, Italian, as, as the last name would dictate. And I just wanted to get into business. I wanted to do anything. But I did what I what I knew. My father owned the restaurant. So I went to the restaurant business thinking it was an entrepreneurial venture where what it was, was I created a really good job for me for the first 10 or 15 years. Up until 2008, we have really short-term memories. 2008 was the great pandemic for me. It was the great recession. Everything shifted for me, right? All of a sudden, the internet comes online. We have Grubhub. We have Uber Eats. My whole little restaurant world was came upside down. All of a sudden, up in upstate New York, we're about an hour from Manhattan. People are starting to come out with Thai restaurants. There's sushi's coming on the scene. I have a ton of competition, and I'm making a lot less money and working a lot harder. I mean, anyone raised their hand and been in that situation? Well, that's where I was back in 08, and I said to myself, I need to go out. I need to find a mentor. And my problem was I had done a couple of real estate deals. I did a mobile home park deal back in 04, crapped out crappy partner. I did a, uh, in 2007, I bought a strip mall up in, up in New York. Also that didn't work out because I didn't know the three pillars of real estate. I was not educated, but back in 08, I said, I want to get into this full time. Eventually, how do I start? And Tom, I didn't have the luxury of fixing and flipping homes because I already had a full-time job. So thank God it saved me from that venture. And that's why I peered off into multifamily. And, you know, as you mentioned your name of your podcast, I found it ironic. I was looking at it, agent investor. To me, that's almost like an oxymoron. 
And I don't mean to like insult a lot of people on the show, but when you're an agent, your first duty, it's such a hard job. You're focused on commissions. You're focused on transactions, right? And that's the daily grind. That was like me when I was in the restaurant, right? The daily grind. The investor is the one out there thinking long-term, thinking about creating complementary streams of revenue, thinking about equity. Tom, transactions pay the bills. Equity makes you rich. And that's why sometimes people look at multifamilies as a pie in the sky because it is a long game. I mean, it's like we call it the conveyor belt. You got to put one deal on the conveyor belt, wait maybe 12, 18 months for that deal really to stabilize. And then after that, it starts cash flowing well. And then maybe there's a liquidity event after two years, but you got to get another, another deal. We're all deal junkies. I, mean, I know you are. I am as well. I like to get those deals done, man, knock it out, go on to the next one. But that doesn't really create wealth. And to me, it was the same thing in the restaurant. Every week I'd get paid and it goes on to the next week. It, it's an adrenaline because you feel like you've accomplished something, but then you got to start it all over again. And I learned that back in a way, I can't keep doing this because I'm going to burn myself out. I'm going to really start not liking my job. How do I create wealth and how do I maintain that wealth with all these other benefits that multifamily brings along? And that's that's how I was really was attracted to multifamily. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And one of the things that you mentioned that I think is so relevant for agents is just you know, all of those new restaurants came into your area. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with real estate agents where there's all these different players, especially with st- the stuff going on in the pandemic, but just like a Zillow, like a mm-hmm. Redfin, like all of these different companies. And it's the same thing where agent commissions are getting squeezed. The, like mm-hmm. the, the, the commission yes. percentage is going down. Yes. The amount of, And then the other thing that's happening with the pandemic, with everybody losing their jobs is guess what? what's a job that you're almost guaranteed to get hired for, right? Go out, get your real estate license. So the Mm -hmm. volume of agents things helped me as a broker attract more agents underneath me. But all of those people that were working in restaurants, they get laid off. What's a career that they could get Uh. into? And then what what impact does that actually have? Well, now there's more agents grabbing the same amount of the piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. And again, getting back to like, why investing, you know, you're building up something that no matter what, like it doesn't really matter like what happens within your industry, you're going to get that passive income and you're going to build wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom, so- do, you, do you mind if I share with with all the listeners on here something that I think they could do to make themselves stand out as an, as an excellent agent? Yep. So what we do at Jake and Gino, we create something called a credibility book. And the credibility book is a basic business plan. I'm going to have Tom create one because he's got an amazing platform and amazing success, really. But with this credibility book, we use it to raise capital. We use it to speak to our investors. We use it to speak to our potential partners. We use it with brokers. So you as an agent, what you can do when you when I'm looking for an agent to sell my house, I want to know Tom's qualifications. I want to know how many houses Tom has sold. I want to know what Tom's strategy to sell my house. So the credibility book for me as, as a multifamily investor is I would tell people the market that I'm investing in. I would tell people why that market. I would lay the strategy out that I have. We have a long-term growth strategy. We're looking at you know B properties. I would lay that all out. And I would lay out my actual credibility, my number of units, all the deals I have, all the deals I've done. And then ultimately the, the tag along at the end, how to contact me. So as an agent, I want you, I want to know how you're going to bring value to me. Even if you've got a team around you, if you're, if you're a real estate agent selling a house, do you have a contractor? Do you have a plumber? Do you have an inspector? Do you have a title company? Do you have an insurance company? That's how you're going to set yourself apart from everyone else. How are you going to bring value to that person you're, you know, you're listing the house for or you're buying a house from? You want to be able to stand out and have a credibility book prepared to let them know I'm selling your house this 
this way. This is my strategy and these are my results. So utilize that. If you need one, go to jakeandgina.com on our website. Just click down the credibility book. I can even send one to you also. Take a look. Now, Tom, there's a little bit of work involved. You need a few hours to sit down and build it out and have someone design it for you. It's not going to take you six weeks, but it's really thinking about really building your business because everyone out there, all you agents, you are all a brand. You're all amazing. You're all hardworking. How are you going to stand out? You're going to stand out by showing how you bring value to the marketplace. Yeah. And, and even to, to you know piggyback again off of that comment, you know, you've got these, these uh, you know, big players coming in like a Redfin advertising a 1% commission, 3% mm-hmm. total. And, you know, when, when somebody goes into an appointment as an agent and they just say, hey, look, I'm charging five or 6% and oh, by the way, like, I don't know what value I'm providing mm-hmm. and I can't tell mm-hmm. you why to use me. Mm-hmm. And then they say, okay, great. Like, I liked you, you were nice. And then the next appointment's a Redfin agent who does the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. But they say, oh, by the way, I'm going to charge you 2% less. Well, if it's apples to apples, who are they going to use? They're going to go right. with the lower cost. Right. But if, you're, if your value is high enough, then the percentage becomes less relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, another tool that we talk about, and I know you work a lot with brokers, um, is agents serving investors. And I know that there are some people that listen to this, this show that one of their top focuses is serving investors. So if I'm an agent, that, that wants to work with you, Gino, like what type of conversation should I have? How would I target you? Like what are the types of things I can do to make you a client of mine? So when you're raising capital from somebody, I, you know, I just wrote an ebook on this. I think the three things that you have to ask yourself, the question that they have to answer is number one, Tom, can I help you? Obviously the agent can help the investor because he's going to, he's going to actually provide a rate of return, right? Number two, do you care? I mean, does the agent really care about the investor? And number three, can I trust you? Those are the three things every person trying to raise capital on the other side needs to worry about when they're dealing with an investor. I think separate yourself out. When you're raising capital, you are a fiduciary for that investor. You need to get to know that person you're raising capital from and you want to invest. So it needs to be an intimate conversation. You need to have a substantive relationship as part of the SEC rules when you're raising capital from people. But it's important to know what that investor's goals are, what their alignments are. If you're an investor, if you're an agent and you're like, I'm going to start doing syndications and getting into multifamily, let's say, my time horizon is three to five years. That's how long I'm going to keep your money. But your investor is like, you know what? I want 12 months in and out. That's not going to work. Your goals don't align. You want to do what we call Jake and Gino, same side selling. You want to find impact together amongst the agent and the investor. And how do you do that? Basically asking questions, asking that investor, what are your goals? What are you looking as a rate of return? What kind of assets do you deem risky and not risky? How long can I keep your money? You really need to learn about that investor. And, you know, we call it the spy technique when we're buying property in real estate. The spy technique is SPY. It's an acronym that we use. We're trademarking it. It's the seller, number one. Everyone write this down. The property, P, number two, and Y, U, number three. In that order, the seller or the investor, they're the most important person. So when I'm looking at a deal to invest in a deal, I am always wanting to know what the seller wants. What does the seller want? We only think that the seller wants the highest price, but sometimes the seller wants certainty of close. Sometimes the seller wants to make sure that, you know what, you're not going to be a pain in the butt. Sometimes the seller wants anonymity. He doesn't want his uh, tenants or his you know employees to know that the deal is being sold. So focus on what the seller wants. Focus on that first part. The next part is all about the property or about the asset itself. Does the property fit your criteria? And then why you, 
you're the last person in the equation. So always thinking about others is the most important part about creating value on that other side and then see if it fits with what you're trying to do. And then guys, you will find impact together, man. It'll be awesome. So getting back to your story a little bit. So, you know, you got into the restaurant business, you, you knew pretty much from day one that you wanted to get into real estate investing. Mm -hmm. What stopped you from doing it? And then when you did eventually say like, Hey, I'm going to like, I'm really going to do this. What was like the moment or the thing that happened to make you be like, okay, enough, enough talking about this, enough reading about this. I'm actually going to do it. Tom, that's a great question. When I got in, it was actually very profitable. I was doing, I was making a very good living. I got married back in 1998. My wife worked at the restaurant. My brother was working there too. So I actually enjoyed it. You know, it was great. I, I loved it. I was doing really well. In 2007, my dad passed away and I started the, the business with my dad. And that's when I started digging deep inside. And I'm thinking, you know, I want everyone on this podcast to really ask this question and really think about it. I, I asked the question to myself and I said, am I building my dream or is I building my dad's dream? You know, I, I loved working with him. It was awesome. I, you know, every day since I was eight years old, I'd go to work with him. I, I thought everyone went to work with their dad at, <laughs> at the restaurant. That's what I thought. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was part of my DNA. So everyone out there saying, Oh, I can't do something new. Listen, that was part of my life for so many years. Even now it's snowing up in New York. It's Wednesday and Thursday. My mind goes to, wow, I just lost a week of revenue because that's, that's how ingrained it still is in me. It was still part of my day-to-day, every day. But then after my dad passed away, and then all of a sudden, you have all these deliveries, and, you, and your margins start shrinking, and you're working harder, and you're working on the weekends, and I work on the holidays. After a while, it gets really tiring. And I could be the kind of person that I'm afraid. Everyone's afraid out there. But Tom, we don't act when we're afraid. We act when we get angry. And anger actually finally took over. And that was my emotion that overrode me, right? And that anger was really good for me, especially in the beginning. I needed that because I needed to take action. Um, education times action equals results is what we say. I had gotten the education a little bit, but not really. Then I started taking action without that education. That's why I made those two big mistakes in the beginning. And yeah. then when I coupled the both of them with the mentorship, that's when I finally took off. So everyone, dig down deep inside. Figure out what your why is, right? We don't lack motivation. We lack clarity. I didn't have clarity back in seven and 08. We have my dad passed away in the great recession. I was just fumbling around. I wasn't sure until I got clarity of what the model I wanted. And then fortunately I met Jake in 2009, everything started clicking. Everything started making sense. I'm like, my market doesn't work. Well, Jake, you're going down to Tennessee. Good. He moves in 2011. Then we start really seriously looking down there. Right. And back then, I don't know if everyone remembers eight, nine and 10, they were pretty bleak as far as the economy goes. There were a lot of deals out there. There was no money out there. Right. So whenever's the right time to start, it's when you're, when you're ready to start, that's what really got me going. That anger component and asking myself those tough questions of, is this my dream? Is this my dad's dream? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And I was watching um, one of the videos you guys had last night with Bill Ham talking about the different market cycles. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that, um, that I hear a lot, not just with agents, but overall is like, you know, this part of the market, you can't invest in this part of the market because of this reason. Mm-hmm. And you just brought something up. Like, you know, I kind of think back to when I got in, it got into real estate, it was 07, 08, 09. And I remember like, you could get deals anywhere. Anything you bought was a phenomenal deal. It literally mm-hmm. didn't matter. You could go into any city, you buy multifamily, it was a home run, but the financing is tough. So mm-hmm. there, there was nobody that wanted to give out capital at that point. And you know, you've got the opposite kind of thing going on. And throughout each cycle, 
there are opportunities and there are things that make it diff- difficult. Mm-hmm. But no matter what, like I think getting into multifamily and, and continuing to acquire more more assets, like there's, you talked about a story in the beginning of your career where you made two big mistakes, but like everybody, I feel like everybody has those things where when they start, oh, I wish I did this a little different. I wish I did that a mm-hmm. little, little different. But anytime you look at somebody that's successful, like they overcame whatever those initial kind of mistakes were. Mm-hmm. And would you have gotten to the point you were at now if you didn't take a step forward? Nope. I, I agree a hundred percent. And what everyone, Tom, what everyone's talking about is the three pillars of real estate. I didn't know market cycles and debt and exit strategy. Those are the three pillars of real estate. They were always out there, but our coach, Bill Ham really put it together and we were trademarking that also. And it never is the right time to start. I have six kids. It was never the right time to have a kid. It just wasn't, right? It just happens when it happens. And when it happens, you figure it out. As entrepreneurs, as agents out there, you will figure it out once it happens. But I will guarantee you, once you start, it's not going to be success overnight. That's why you just need to start. And it's going to take you a little bit of time to build the momentum, to build the education. Now, Tom, you, you've been doing it for a long time. You've got a lot of experience in real estate. The, your, your learning curve is probably going to be dramatically lessened. But even so, if it takes you the next six months to get a deal, that market cycle has already changed in six months, right? Yeah. So what you're seeing today may be a little different six months from now. The, 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 the financing may be a lot tougher six months from now. So, oh, wow. Owner financing is prevalent. Let's use owner financing. But if you don't start, you don't get educated. I always hear the thing, I'm going to start when I have money and I'm going to start when the market is, when I, when the market, you know, tanks. Well, first of all, you don't even know when there's an opportunity because you're not educated because you don't know when the market changes and you can, you can actually get into any part of the market cycle and make money in any part of the market cycle if you know how to invest in that part of the market cycle. How are you going to know unless you start and you get educated? You're not. So for those of you who don't know Gino's background and what he invests in, um, he's into apartment buildings. And um, I think it's interesting because you you got into that like right out of the gate, right? Like you never, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you know, besides the ones where you were kind of just dabbling, but like once you decided, hey, I'm going to commit to this, Jake moved down to Tennessee in 2011, you guys decided like, we're not going to fool around with like two, th- two families and three families. Or was that just like by accident that you ended up going that direction? My first multifamily purchase was back in 2002 in New York. I bought a fourplex. I wish I could have bought more. I maybe I'd be the multiplex king of New York. I just didn't buy more because I was at the restaurant. I was comfortable. And I bought that fourplex because it had a nice storage shed. I, I love these multi-mixed properties where you have a garage and you have a couple units, a couple storage. I was actually using it for my restaurant for storage. So, but that was a start. And I found out that it was a nice area, nice location, pretty easy to manage right down the street from the restaurant. I had four tenants. I never had vacancy in that property. So I liked it. So when I partnered with Jake, um, we said to each other, you know what, Jake, we're working full time. My brother came on in our first deal. So let's try to find something that has multiple units in one location. We bought a 25 unit. That was our first property, right? 25 units all in one location. So if there's three of us on that deal, just Put it mentally that each of us owned eight units, right? Jake is working full-time as a pharmaceutical rep, driving around, being a sales guy. He gets to the property, much easier to collect rents. There's only one lawn to cut. There's only one area to collect rents from everybody. So for us, from a management standpoint in our lives, everyone write this down, ROE. It's not return on equity. It's return on effort. 
I think there's a lot less, lot less effort to manage one 25-unit property than there are 12 duplexes scattered around the whole city. And that's something that I knew early on because when you have a restaurant and you have a demanding job and you've got to go to that one property, you can handle it. But when you've got two or three properties, and I had them, I had a, had a laundromat building, I had a building up north in, in New York, and I had that fourplex, it was a real pain in the butt to, to, to manage those three properties while I was working full-time. So I'm like, let me try to scale up. And for us, it was great because that 25-unit property, Jake would manage it. But then three months after that first purchase, we bought a 36-unit property. So it gave us the ability to scale up. We have 60 units right now. We've got some economies of scale. We're almost at the point that we can get a full-time maintenance tech. We had resident managers on both properties that were helping us manage these properties. So it took some of the time off. But at the same time, we're, we're so close getting that first hire. And that's what you want with multifamily. You're able to scale up and create a business. You know, Jake and Gina, we're creating multifamily entrepreneurs. That's what my goal is. Not looking at real estate as just landlording and real estate and land and buildings, but really looking at it as a business, as a scalable business, where you can start implementing multiple streams of revenue and you can start growing your scale and your business. And you know what? If you've got to take a day off or two days off, you can because you have other people there helping you out. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. I can I can speak to the multiple roofs and, you know, properties scattered all over the place. And, you know, I talk about my story, you know, a lot on this mm-hmm. podcast and people who know me know that uh, me and my partners, we, we bought a bunch of multifamily but they're, they're not even just scattered throughout the city. We're scattered, you know, within 90 minutes of each other. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, as we started to accumulate them and we, we have a decent sized rental property portfolio, we just realized that this is, this is tough. Mm-hmm. And this, this is really not an efficient way to do it. Um, and I wouldn't discourage anybody from going, you know, and buying a two family or buying a three family or anything like that. But, you know, looking back and I said to this, I said this to Gino before I jumped on, like, I wish I had started knowing what you knew then. I mean, you mm-hmm. figured it out a lot faster than I did. We, we kind of just run, you know, we're running and gunning, buying multifamilies, buying two, two families, three families, four families. And then we got to a point and we've been, we've been fortunate. And this is, you know, I think one of the great things about multifamily is like we held them. They, they went up a lot in value. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. cash flowed while we own them. And now we're like, okay, you know, how do we trade in those greenhouses for a hotel, you know, yes. on the monopoly yes. board and, um, in hindsight being 2020, I would have went bigger to start, but for me right now, it's just a pivot time to say, okay, you know, let me, let me go bigger. And, um, so for, for the, for the agents that are listening, they're like thinking about, you know, do I do a three family? Do I do, you know, 50 units? Obviously we've talked about the fact that it's more efficient to go bigger, Mm -hmm. but how can somebody that, you know, doesn't have millions of dollars in the bank get involved in like a big deal like that out of the gate? So for me, I'm I'm going to plug the Jake and Gino community or even any educational community out there. Cause I wish I had that when I started out. And this is the reason why I created Jake and Gino because when you get want to get into these bigger deals, it's not a pie in the sky. I wish I had known that. Tom, our first thousand units, we only bought ourselves. We were able to refinance and roll over $11 million out of our portfolio and buy the next deal. 
But if I had syndicated, I may have 3,000 units now or 4,000 units. I didn't know syndication, right? Because no one taught it to me and I didn't understand the model. I only knew what, what I knew. So for everyone out there, the first thing you need to do is really start going to events. Start going to meetups, multifamily meetups, not just the RIA meetings, but find meetups that are doing multifamily. Find virtual meetups right now. When these events start going on, and I'm going to see Tom down in Jacksonville in February in our Buy Right Bootcamp, that's where you're going to start meeting people who have capital. That's where you start meeting people where you can start partnering up. That's important because multifamily is a team sport. I mean, in any business, what Tom's doing right now, when he's doing these different different revenue streams, right? He's got his multifamily. He's got a partner there. He's got his brokerage going on. There's different partners. As you start scaling as an entrepreneur, it's great to have partnerships because partners will hold you accountable. And I love that piece. But I think the most important thing is just everyone on the show, just Google syndication. Because when you guys are selling homes and somebody gets a big chunk of cash from a sale of a home, what are they going to do with the money? Sometimes they just put it in the bank. If you can you know, leverage that relationship and say, hey, I'm looking at investing in properties. How would you like to get a return on your money? You have the people there. That's where you start the conversation. But starting the conversation on being educated is, I think, the most important thing. Yeah. When I used to um, sell coaching uh, a couple of years ago, like one of the things I would do when I would get up there is, is always say, the more you learn, the more you earn. Mm-hmm. And it's really true. Like, you know, there's so many things that it's like, I mean, you can't know everything, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't wait to know everything before taking action. But the more that you understand what your different options are, yes. you know, and depending on who you are, like to get into some of these big multifamily deals, well, you might be really good at finding deals or building relationships, or you might be really good at raising capital, mm-hmm. or you might be really good at management. Like there's some, there's probably some area that you've got some skill or feel like, Hey, I can, you know, develop into that type of person to provide value into some of these deals. Even if you're time, even if you're a bird dog, or even if you're great on the phone, Hey, we need people that are great on the phone to be able to call sellers and off-market deals or brokers, try to build a rapport and try to get them on because a lot of people are just not good on the phone. That's a great skill set. If you can start bringing deals to the table and finding the 10 unit and the 15 unit, and I think we should say this, right? Think big, but start small. You don't have to start with a 150 unit complex. You can start with a fourplex or an aplex. There's nothing wrong with that. All you need to do is start. Because you're either going to have zero deals or you're going to have multiple deals. Like Tom is the is the illustrator. He doesn't have any deals. He doesn't have one or two duplexes. He's got you know 150 units. He started. And once you start, you're going to continue and you're going to have the momentum. Because that first deal, once you close it, all of a sudden the brokers see you're a closer. And guess what? They're going to call you back. And then Uncle Tom and Aunt Mary, hey, Tom, what are you doing for a living right now? Hey, I'm just closing some multifamily. So then all of a sudden people start calling you up out of the blue and they start taking you seriously. So do not discount starting at any size you want. We started with 25 units. If a 10 unit had popped up, I would have bought a 10 unit. And you know what? If there's a 25 unit property right now, it's not too small for me if it's in, if it's in the area, because any deal that makes sense right now, you can flip that little deal and get into a bigger deal. So don't discount these small deals, especially in this part of the market cycle. Absolutely. Um, so for, for people that are, are kind of listening, I think everybody knows like the benefits of multifamily, you know, the passive income, the appreciation, you know, the, the repairs that you can make and all that good stuff to it. Um, and we talked a little bit about education. So for somebody that's like thinking about getting in, like for you, like what are the resources that you would recommend for somebody to get in, get in and learn more? So first thing, one of the other major benefits, I think multifamily, we can't discount this now, especially what's going on with COVID. I think COVID accelerated a lot of these trends that we're seeing. 
Multifamily apartment housing is a basic human need. It's food, clothing, and apartments. That's what it comes down to. That's why I love the space. You know, you don't need self-storage, although that's doing pretty well. You don't need office. You can work out of your house, right? Office is getting pulled back. You can't buy it on the internet yet, right? So you see retail getting pulled back. So multifamily is that basic human need. And when we talk about demographics, everybody, 150 million millennials and baby boomers in this country, guess what? They like to rent. It's nice to get a $600 a month thing, give the key back, be transient. And that's what's going on. You're selling your McMansions and you're downsizing. The RV space is crushing it because people don't want to be locked in. I mean, listen, I moved with six kids from New York to Florida. I was transient. I rented for a year before I did. There's a lot of people doing that. When you have California and people working at Stripe in California and Stripe is saying, you know what? We'll give you a 10% pay cut, but you can go live anywhere. Guess where they're going? They're going to Texas and they're renting in Texas and they're just their lifestyle. Why do you want to fix a house when you're 29 or 30 years old? Who wants to do that? We don't, we're, we're not our parents' generation. I think there's a big shift in, in renting. It's a lot easier to rent. So for me, the benefits, I mean, that's one of them. I mean, I think this is, I think this space is here to stay because it's a basic human need. And I don't think the American dream anymore so much is buying a home and having equity in the home. I just don't see that. I see the, the shift going down. Student debt is also, you know, tough for the millennials because they can't buy a house. They can't put money down in a house because they have other stuff. And I think, Tom, people nowadays, the younger generation, they're more into experiences than our parents were and that we were. We're hard workers. We're grinders. We're saving it out. We're into the equity. I think a lot of the younger generation is more into experience. They'd rather just rent a home, but go on a great vacation or go out to dinner and have a great bottle of wine. They're not into the home thing. So they're into renting more. Now, as far as the benefits, I mean, if you look up, I want everyone on this show right now, just Google the word cost segregation. I mean, just that then and there, if you have any high net worth earners and you can get them to invest in your deals, there's amazing tax benefits going on with multifamily. You talk about owning that four unit or eight unit, and you have your residents paying your mortgage, you're getting a principal pay down, plus you're getting appreciation of the asset. Plus the government is continuing to print trillions and trillions of dollars. What's going to happen in the next two to three years? There's going to be something called inflation. So inflation is when your currency gets devalued, but what gets appreciated? A hard asset. Real estate is a hard asset. And if you look back from 1970 to now, a cup of coffee back in 1970 was 25 cents. Now go to Starbucks, it's three bucks. It's the same thing with a house. A house just from you know our, our, our generation, our baby boomer generation, they got lucky. They just got rich off of, off, of, uh, off of inflation. They built their house back in 1974 for 22 grand. Now it's worth 500 grand just from, just from inflation. So I think multifamily and most real estate is going to benefit from this devaluation of our currency and the continuation of the printing press. So one of the things that you hit on that I think is another thing for people to kind of think about, and I, I, I'm in Boston right now and, you know, tenant landlord laws here, you know, favor the tenant all day long. Like we've mm-hmm. had uh, buildings where it's taken us in some cases a year and a half to get a non-paying tenant out for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you came from New York. I'm sure it's similar there, What whether which one is more, tenant or landlord friendly, they're probably a toss up. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got the high taxes in in a lot of those states. So for somebody thinking about all that stuff, because I know one of the biggest fears for people being a landlord is like, what happens if I buy something, cash flows on paper, then I can't, the tenant doesn't pay me, I can't get them out. Can I hold this? Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about like, because a, a lot of the listeners are in the Northeast, like, the differences between the Northeast and like where you are 
you are with tenant landlord laws. I mean, there's a huge difference in multifamily. And I think in real estate, I want everyone to put this picture in their mind. It's almost the, the I guess it's fairly identical. You're getting on an airplane. Once that airplane takes off, if there's 10 seats vacant, they're never going to get money back from that, from that flight, right? It's the same thing with multifamily. We're selling time. That's what we're selling. So if you lose 18 months of revenue and it's a thousand bucks a month, you just lost $18,000 of revenue. You're never going to get that money back. That's important. Now, down in the Southeast where we are, five-day notice, you know, day 10, go to court. Day 11, you get a judgment. Day 15, we go to court. By day 30, they're out, basically. It's really it's really a, a quick turnaround cycle. It's a completely different thing that we have up in the Northeast. Obviously, rents are less down, they're cheaper down in the Southeast, but you're buying on a cap rate, you're buying an evaluation. So you're, you're basically buying at the same valuations. It's just that I like our model better down here. And I first started out investing out of my market. I was investing in Rochester, New York, which was about an hour flight from where I lived in New York because I couldn't cash flow where I lived in New York. And I would s- still be in Rochester if I could have scaled up my operations. But the problem was the buildings were old. Um, I just didn't like the area, a lot of section eight, high taxes, but I learned how to deal with the third party property management. And a lot of people are doing this. A lot of people from overseas, they're learning how to work with third party property management, even though they're not quote unquote boots on the ground, they have their property management running the properties. And I was just fortunate enough to meet Jake. Jake was moving down to Knoxville and I was like, okay, let's partner up. And for me, Tom, the reason why I ended up in Florida was I wanted to expand our brand and our business. And I said, okay, Jacksonville is a great area. Even three years ago, I'm like, this is a great area to move and to start buying deals. Unfortunately, I listened to everybody in the market and everyone's saying, oh, this market's overpriced. The properties here are crazy, they're too expensive. That was three years ago. At 70 a door, now they're 100 a door. So I listened to everybody. That's what I'm saying. Don't ever listen to the experts because nobody really knows. So we didn't buy in in Jacksonville. So if you're really gung-ho and you're like, I want to get into this business and you're really serious about it and you want to change in your life, find a market where you're going to love to invest and live in and move in it like I did. I got all the benefits of coming down here as far as, you know, quality of living. I got the great, you know, tax benefits, no state income tax, the weather, was it tough the first few months with the family? Absolutely. But was it worth it in the long run? Absolutely. So I moved down here. And unfortunately, like I said, we just continue to buy in Knoxville. But that's one way to get in. I mean, find a place where you like to go on, on vacation, make it your make it your, your investing market and go there every two to three months. Make, you know, make, start out that way. And then with the next three to five years, hey, I want to leave the Northeast and go to wherever I want to go. Take that leap of faith. So I think like, you know, one thing I've learned in the time I've been in real estate is you never want to swim against the tide mm-hmm. in, in anything. Yes. And I think one thing that the COVID has kind of shown us is like, there are companies that are not going to go back to the office. They, they've yes. already said they're not going back, but then there's mm-hmm. others that are working on setting up to not come back. Mm-hmm. Now, if they do that, right, and anybody can work from anywhere, people are going to be more likely just by default mm-hmm. to live in warmer weather more affordable states. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that, you know, you could, you know, draw it up on a map exactly what those states are. But that shift, I don't think is going to, it's not going to go back. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think that businesses that have relocated from New York to say Memphis, Tennessee, like mm-hmm. they're not going to go back to New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just not. Well, look and, at Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs just left New York, I think, a couple of weeks ago. They're they're reloc- are they relocating to Florida or wherever? They're they're going. They're they're gonzo from the New York Northeast. That's a yeah. huge blow, right? 
yeah, when it's one of their their units, it's not mm-hmm. the whole company, but still it's mm-hmm. significant, right? And, that, yep. and I think like part of that is like, okay, then once that one domino falls, does somebody else then say, oh, Goldman Sachs did that. Now, why do I need to be in New York City? Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. Like, I think I think it's it's going to be hard to justify, especially with you know the budget deficits that some of those states have, high taxes that they have, high real estate prices. Over the course, if you're projecting it out, and we talked about in the beginning, like real estate investing is a long game. It's not a two or three year plan. Over the course of fifteen or twenty or twenty five years, I think it'd be hard to make the argument that certain places in California, certain places in New York City, certain places in Boston that are high tax, high price, like bad, you know, landlord tenant laws are going to end up being better investments than some of those other areas where you're getting basically all of the benefits. The mm-hmm. only the only thing that, that you really don't have in a lot of those markets is just that like I didn't grow up, you know, in the Southeast or I didn't. So that's mm-hmm. I think that's the only thing is that like a lot of times people are, are being held by where they grew up. And, and I am, too, right now. It's a limiting belief. It really is because I had that limiting belief also. I was trying to stay in New York, but I'm glad back in 2011, I made that shift. And it's never the right time, but making that shift and saying, hey, there are other people out there. And Tom, you're going to meet a lot of the community members in Jake and Gino going, wow, they live in California. So they have a capital market. You guys in the Northeast and in California, we call that a capital intensive market where there's a lot of money. We like that, right? But then you need to look for deal markets, whether they're in Austin, Texas, whether they're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, you find those deal markets. If you can find boots on the ground or people who are in that market that you can partner with, you've got the capital. Wherever the capital flows, and that is an investor, I can tell you is one of the most important things. As an investor, you need to see where the flow of capital is. So the flow of capital right now is out of these you know, blue states and cities and is not nothing to do with politics. It's got to do with policy, right? You know, you're seeing these, these in the affordable housing, what's happened in New York city. I can tell you, I mean, once a week we get investors from New York city calling us up, wanting to buy our deals in Knoxville. They want to have that, that money is flowing out from those sectors and coming into those other sectors. So that's been happening and that's going to continue to happen. So as an investor, you need to see where the flow of funds, where that flow of money is coming from and where it's going towards that will really serve you. Yeah. And, and another thing that I think that's huge that um, just piece of advice that I'm thinking of as I've, I've joined the Jake and Gino community is getting around other people that are yes. doing what you're doing. That's right. And, um, you know, throughout the course of, you know, I'd say now, damn, it's crazy. 15 years of, of being in real estate, um, you know, getting around people that are kind of doing the same stuff. It's just a shortcut because, mm-hmm. you know, the people that have done it before you, they know the things to avoid. They know kind of the cheat codes, I, I would call them. Mm-hmm. And however you can do that, I mean, it doesn't have to be like like myself. Like I bought into the Jake and Gino program. Like I'm a believer in it. I'm in it. I love it. I think it's worthwhile, but it doesn't have to be that. But I do think you need to get around other people that are doing what you want to do. I and- agree. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I, the only thing I would add to that, Tom, is I'm going to tell everyone Really quick joke, really quick, funny story. My mom did not know that I owned any real estate with Jake until I hit 200 units with him. And I went to her and I said, mom, by the way, I'm going to think of leaving the restaurant in the next 12 months. And she looked at me like baffled. And I love my mom. I speak to my mom three times a week. I was in business with her for, for 20 years. But every time I talked about real estate, real estate's risky. You've got six mouths to feed. And she's not 
wasn't putting me down. She was just no. worried about my situation. She, she thought she was helping you. Yes, but hearing that negativity all the time, I'd be I'd be at lunchtime at the restaurant working on podcasts, doing my thing, and everyone would come over to me and say, "Why are you working so hard? Dick, you don't want to be around that that kind of energy." So for me, I wish I had a community. I didn't have it. I was fortunate enough that I had my mastermind with Jake. He was my partner. I looked to him as like that energy, and I also started the podcast for that reason. Podcasting all these amazing people, and that was my my other outlet. So that's how I was surrounding myself with like my like minded people with Jake my partner, Mike, um, and, you know, the podcast and, and this starting this community. I mean, as educators, we love to teach, but we're learning just as much as when we're teaching and we're feeding off a of student's energy. I was doing a deal with a student yesterday, going through a deal with him. And he's like, oh, what if I section off this little piece and, and offer on this piece? I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. That's a great yeah. idea. But being able to have that space and to do that, I think you're right. Try to find other people who are in multifamily or who want to do it. Get together and start having those conversations and start getting together and start focusing on that. And then all of a sudden, you know, when, you, when you're taking advice from somebody who's never done something, well, multifamily is risky. Well, how many assets do you own? I don't own any, but it's risky. That's not the person you should be taking advice from. The person you should be taking advice from is a person who has 200 units and who's been here like Tom and says, you know, it is hard, but there's a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's like, you know, you grow up in these spheres and, you know, a lot of times you don't grow up with people or your, your family isn't somebody who understands this or they're not interested mm -hmm. in it or, um, you know, so you're, you're like the outcast. And like, mm -hmm. sometimes like when, when I first started, you know, like I'm lucky that I have, you know, a partner that, you know, we were both kind of on the same mission and we kind of encouraged each other, but I think mm -hmm. it's easy to get knocked off when like, you know, you read a book and I remember doing this, like, I remember reading like seller financing or like all these other things. And I would say it to somebody and I'm like, that, do that. that doesn't work. That's, <laughs> and and yes. I'd be like, I, and, you know, being young and not knowing, I'd be like, oh yeah, they're right. Like, this is just, this is a scam. Like they mm -hmm. just wanted to sell me a book or wanted to sell me a coaching program. Uh -huh. And like when you start to see the social proof of other mm -hmm. people doing it. And I, I always say this too, what, what, what's amazing is when you start to get around other people that are doing it, sometimes you get in your head that anybody who's doing this, they're so elite, they're so smart, they're so mm -hmm. hardworking. They're, they're all these superlatives that like I can never be. And then you get around people who are doing it and you're like, okay, well, yeah, there, there's, <laughs> they're winging it, bro. Yeah. We are all winging it out there. You know, I, my coach, we're in a bus, one of the coaches, he turns to me and he goes, you know what, Gino, we're all out there winging it and we're figuring it out. So the, yeah. the, the model of the story is just to commit and then you're going to figure it out. That's the thing. We're all out there winging it and growing it because things are changing and just we're out there testing stuff. So I agree with you, Tom, just we're all winging it. Cool. So, well, Gino, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, definitely a motivational story. Got out of, I mean, man, like to be able to, to tell your mom that you were leaving, I, I'm sure that was like, I can't even imagine that conversation. But, I remember uh, sitting outside with her on the, on the bench over there next to the electric meters we have on the wall. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, mom, I got to, she's like, what? Huh? I'm like, you know what? I, I finally did it, you know, and she, she, I think she was really happy for me, but at the same time, you know, you're, she's scared. So, you know, it was a great feeling, Tom. And, really and I think for everybody that's, that's going to do this, it, it might not be your mom that you're having that conversation with, but it's mm -hmm. going to be somebody, it's going to be a spouse, it's going to be a friend, it's going to be a coworker, it's going to mm -hmm. be whatever, a best mm -hmm. friend growing up. And yeah. it's like, it's like you, you're coming clean, like, Hey, like I'm yeah. doing this. <laughs> so 
super motivational story. I want to thank you. I know you're busy for taking the time. And um, how can people reach out to you or learn more? Uh, just go, go to jakeandgina.com. Just go on the website. We've got four weekly podcasts. We've got tons of blogs out there. We actually have our own students writing blogs for us. So that's pretty cool. And if you guys want to copy the honeybee, just email me, gino at jakeandgina.com. And I'll send you on a PDF copy of it. I mean, a lot of your listeners are going to get a lot of benefit from it because they're already agents. They can already partner up and start building up their business that they have to create complimentary streams. You got that extra money. Let's dump that extra money into multifamily, everyone. Awesome. All right, guys, thank you. And uh, we'll see you again on another episode of Agent Investor. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.